From St. Mark's Gospel, Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. I think as our Lenten discipline this year, we're going to do the Great Litany every single Sunday. I'm just kidding. Um, I will say this, though. I love Lent, and every, I say that every year, and every year people think I'm full of baloney, but I really do love Lent, and it's actually a pretty simple reason why. Uh, because, I'll be honest with you, um, and look, Lent's all about being honest with ourselves and each other. I'll be honest with you, and, and I'll say this, that I, um, I am not the most introspective fellow in the world. I'm not. I mean, I, 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 my world, just in the way my being is, my world is sort of outward focused, right? I'm an extrovert. I love crowds. I love people. I'm an externally focused man in my being, in my psyche, in my guts, right? That's just where I am. That's just the way it is, right? And so Lent is good for me because not only am I an externally focused person, but I also really like a challenge. I really like a challenge, which is why I love Lent, because Lent challenges me to stop, right? Hold on, Rodriguez. Calm down. To stop, to be introspective, to think about my own faults, my own shortcomings, to consider my own sins, which are legion, and to be honest with myself, right? To just sort of come clean, right? To admit that I am a sinner. Now, if you're not used to hearing that from an Episcopal church, let me challenge you something, because you're going to hear it all Lent. And it's this, that to admit that you are a sinner is the most liberating and freeing thing you can possibly do. Because admitting that you are a sinner, because you are, and so am I, God knows, and you know it too, saying that you're a sinner allows you to be honest with yourself. And look, honesty is always a good thing. And, and I think the problem is that most people, and for me certainly, growing up as a kid, whenever I heard the word sinner, I heard it as just pure condemnation. Right? Some crazy old Baptist guy with a Bible telling me that I was wrong, and I just dismissed him. I'm not picking on Baptists, sorry. But I just can't think of a French person saying that, so I'll pick on the Baptists. Yes, Susan, I was thinking of you. So, anyway, uh, but that's what I have in, in my mind. What I, hear, what I hear the word sinner, in my mind, I think of just, you know, somebody pointing their finger at me and me just sort of dismissing. I'm like, yeah, whatever. In fact, I'll give you a, a real-life example. When I was, I mentioned this on Ash Wednesday, so forgive me if you were here. I'll repeat it. Uh, my sister Michelle and I were out. I was like, I don't know, probably 23, 24 years old. Michelle and I were out in Pensacola Beach, Florida, Woo, where my family lives. It's a great place to go and fish and party like a rock star, which we were doing. And so we were out on the beach partying like rock stars, Michelle and I were, and there was a guy from a a church in Pensacola, I don't know the church, but there was a guy with a bullhorn and a whole group of people around him, you know, and he was sitting there telling everybody they were sinners going to hell. He was right, of course, (laughs) I will admit that, but at the time, at, at the time, I didn't want to hear that. All I heard in that was judgment. And, and condemnation, and really not even all that helpful, right? Guilt for its own sake is, is nothing but flagellation, right? Guilt for its own sake does not ever get you from A to B. So just shaming people is stupid and pointless and cruel. As I've gotten older, I begin, I've begun to understand this idea of sinner a little differently, and more like 
not so much condemnation, but more as a diagnosis of me. The word sin comes from the Greek word hamartia, which means to shoot an arrow and miss a target. That's all it means. And so for me to be called to admit that I am a sinner means that I know that I'm not all right. I am not the man I should be. I am not the man God wants me to be. And quite frankly, I am not the person that I could be if I were who I, God designed me to be. The point I'm trying to say that being a sinner is a diagnostic. Kind of like if I went to Dr. Large over here and said, Doc, I got a pain in my wrist and I can't feel anything and whatever. He'd say, well, the problem is you've got arthritis. It's a diagnostic. And so therefore, once you see it as a diagnostic, ah, then you can then find the solution. You see my point? So when you hear us talk about sin all Lent, I want you to hear it as a diagnostic of your heart because and only so it leads you to a place of repentance and finding freedom and victory that you get through our Lord Jesus Christ. Admitting that you are a sinner is liberating because you recognize that you need a doctor, you need a savior, and his name is Jesus. Come on. His name is what? Jesus. And all sin starts with, we're going to start today about this idea of sin, unpack it a little bit next couple weeks. All sin starts with one word, and that is temptation. And so today we're going to look in Lent 1. We're going to look at the nature of temptation. We're going to look at the nature of temptation to sin with Jesus as both our illustration and our solution. He's always our illustration and our solution. But when it comes to temptation, how Christ's actions are our example, our illustration, and our solution. So two things today, uh, two points. I want to look at the universality of temptation. We all are tempted. The university, universality of temptation and the source of our victory and solution. So the universality of temptation and the source of our victory and solution. So we pick up today in Mark chapter 1, where we actually preached about four weeks ago in Epiphany chapter 1. If you were here, I preached on the, on the baptism of Jesus, right? And John the Baptist arrives. Jesus is baptized, right? And Jesus sees, hears the words, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And the very next thing Jesus does at his baptism is what? He goes to brunch with his family, right? No. <laughs> if only, right? Look at it again. The very next thing, Jesus comes out of the water, you are my son, the Holy Spirit comes upon Christ, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And the very next thing, it says immediately, Jesus was tempted, pushed into the desert to be tempted by Satan. It is not a coincidence that those things happen, boom, boom, right after each other. Look at this. Mark says that the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that just descended upon him, just then, that the Spirit which descended upon him like a dove, that Holy Spirit, it says, drove him into the desert. Now, that word drove is a really important word. It doesn't mean drive like in a Range Rover. It means, it means uh, it's a Greek word. It's two words, contraction, ekbalo. And the word drove, ekbalo, means, it's kind of a hard word to translate, but it means something like, uh, like push or compel or force. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that just ascended upon him like a dove and when he's baptized and filled with this Holy Spirit now pushes him, compels him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Just like you. 
That's the key. Jesus is representing you in his temptation. And that's my first point. Look, if Jesus Christ is truly God, which he is, very God of very God, truly God of truly God, fully God of fully God, however you want to put it, Jesus Christ is both fully fully God, okay, got that one, Roger, but he's also fully man. And you and I all know that all humanity in a fallen world which we inhabit, we are all tempted. And the Son of God who came down from heaven to save you and identify with you and to die on the cross for you, also as a man, a human like me and you, faces temptation like me and you. See, the thing I want you to get at today, this is really important. Temptation actually has a purpose. It has meaning. Now, people can suffer through all sorts of things if they know there's a purpose to it. And in fact, Jesus' reenactment or temptation in the desert for 40 days is a reenactment, a representation of, the, of Israel's journey for 40 years. And Moses, in Deuteronomy, when the Israelites are wandering around for 40 years in the desert, the same place, by the way, Moses says this, here's why God allows us to be tempted. Listen to this. Moses is talking to the Israelites, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to see what is in your heart. Let me ask you a question. This is not about Jews in the desert. It's about you. It's about, God. It's about the universality of temptation. Here's a question for you. When was the last time that you were tempted in sin? I don't know. Sleep in on Sundays? Talk smack about somebody? Whatever your own particular favorite sin happens to be, we've all got them. I want you to see something here, really important, that temptation in God's plan, in God's providence, has a purpose. You know, it's funny, the devil wants to tempt us. God uses that for our own, for our own growth. Let me show you this. The Greek word for temptation is the word parizo, and it means to be tested. It means to be tried. You can run, but you can't hide. You can try to run, or, and you can try to avoid it, or what you can do is follow Jesus' example. He goes full blast. Edit, man. Head on. Man up. Because, friends, this world, you will be tested. And God allows us to be tested, to be made stronger in our faith. So here's my question for you. Where in your life are you tempted. That's what Lent is all about. Examining your conscience. Examining who you are. Where in your life have you chosen to go your own way rather than God's way? Don't try to justify it. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to say it's just the way that I am. Nonsense. Because if you make excuses for it, you'll never rise above it with God's grace. Notice something really important here. This is important. This is critically important. God allows us to be tempted, but he doesn't actually do the tempting. Let me show you this. In, J- in James chapter 1, verse 13, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil. Listen, and he himself tempts no one. See, it's not God who tests you or tempts you, but the devil. Scripture calls him Satan. Satan is not a big, scary, well, maybe he is, I don't know, but I've never seen him been around him plenty of times, but I've never seen him physically. 
That Greek word for Satan is actually not a name. It's not a name. It's a noun. Hasatanas. It means the adversary. It's a. Uh, it is the prosecuting attorney in a court of law. If you are on the stand and you're being tried for a crime, the prosecutor's job is to trip you up and make you look what? Guilty, right? Hasatanas. That's what that word means. It's not. Satan is not God's adversary, but yours. Let me show you this. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh, come on, Rodriguez, you're splitting hairs, man. Come on, dude. Yeah, okay, yeah, maybe the devil tempts us. That just gets God off the hook, right? Well, hang on a second. Let me, let me make it, let me, let me boil it down for you. Maybe this will help you kind of get your mind around it. God allows me to be tempted. Yeah, that's right. Anybody here have kids? Yeah, right? Uh, you ever allow your kid to do something that you knew was probably never going to get hurt? There's something, something bad could happen, but you let him do it anyway? Ever do that? Yeah, it's called parenting. And the reason that you do it is you let them be what? Tested, tried, to see if they will, A, listen to what you told them all along, and B, they will grow. My father, I never told this before, I, um, my, the day I got my driver's license, I was 16 years old. I went to the driver's license. My friend drove, because I only had a permit up in Pennsylvania. Got my license driving home from the DMV, and bam, I wrecked my dad's car. Buick Regal. There it is. Thanks, Pop. Anyway, my dad, only accident I've ever had either, anyway. But my point is, my dad let me drive a car, even though it was dangerous, and I could get hurt, and I could even, God help us, kill somebody. But he let me drive a lesson, uh, let me drive a car so I would learn a lesson, so I would grow. And he made me pay for the car, by the way, too. And the reason my dad let me be tempted is not because he didn't love me, but you see, because he did. Love requires that you let people go. Love requires that you permit the testing, but you don't actually do it. You see my point? And that's precisely the point. God allows us to be tempted by Satan, allows us to be tested. He gives us the free will to choose, right or wrong. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, hang on. If God really loved me, he'd protect me. Well, the thing is, he actually does. You know, did you notice as Jesus is being tempted by Satan, and again, he's being tempted in his humanity. He's, I mean, he's being tempted in who knows how, but as he's being tempted, Scripture says that God sent angels to strengthen him. You see my point? God doesn't leave us out there hanging. He sends the Holy Spirit, angels, to strengthen us. My grandmother used to say when I was a kid that God will not give you more than you can bear. She was wrong. Grandma was a heretic. Just kidding. I love my grandma. She was kind of right. She was kind of right, but we say, oh, God will not give you more than you can bear. That's actually not true. What Scripture says is that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear with his strength. It's a big difference. With God's strength, you can overcome. With God's strength, you can, over, you can, you can receive victory. Not on your strength. But on his, that's the whole point. So temptation forces us to say, man, I can't do this. Lord, I need you to help me. Now you're on to something. I knew a man once, we'll call him Dave. It's not his real name, or it might be. <laughs> it's not his real name. Dave was a womanizer. He was sexually active before he was married. He was sexually active while he was married, but with someone else's wife. <laughs> And he, was, he knew it was wrong. He felt shame over it. He knew it was a sin against God, against his wife, against his family, against his own body. He knew it. He was ashamed of it. 
he told me this. And it wasn't in a confessional, so I'm not, that's why I'm telling you this a little bit of detail. He knew what he was doing was wrong, just like you do, and you do things wrong. He knew all these things were wrong, and yet he couldn't stop himself. He said, I couldn't stop myself until I stopped trying. Until he stopped trying on his own power to overcome his adversary. And he leaned on God to strengthen him. Friends, you will never, you will never win a war against the devil on your own strength. Never. He's smarter than you are. He's stronger than you are. It's an unfair fight. You can't defeat the devil, but God can, and he does. Jesus leans on his Father for strength. The Holy Spirit is given to him to strengthen him because of the universality of temptation. And leads me to my second point, that Jesus is both our example of temptation, but also, briefly, the source of our victory. So here's the question again. Against what sins do you wrestle? And it can be anything at all. Sexual sin, love of money, pride, selfishness, lack of concern for others, laziness, insecurity, jealousy. Maybe you, you harbor anger against a parent or a child or an old friend. Can I just give you some pastoral advice which is true? Stop trying and start trusting. Jesus leaned on his Father, and so should you. It's the only way. I have, um, I, as I've sp- spent my time as a Christian man growing in my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you begin to realize something really important about yourself, that you, no matter how hard you try to do the right thing, you're always going to blow it. I mean, you might not always blow it as bad as you used to. Hopefully you do get a little better over time, a little more able to control yourself. But the Christian life is, as the old saying goes, two steps forward and one step back, right? And that's on a good day. The writer of the Hebrews says that Jesus Christ, like you and I, was tempted in every way, but did not sin. Imagine imagine that. Hear that again. Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as you are, and yet did not sin. The things which tempt you, Jesus knows what that feels like. He identifies with you personally. And yet, where you and I fail, friends, Jesus doesn't. See, as Christians, as a Christian, our comfort, our only comfort is that where we fail, he succeeds. Martin Luther had a famous, talk about a guy who harbored guilt. Whew, boy, it's a case study right there. But Martin Luther had a famous quote, which I think is really awesome. He says here, um, uh, Simul justus et peccator. I don't know Latin, I'm just reading it, what's there. But if you understand Latin, you can translate it better than I can. But Luther would say, Simul justus et peccator, meaning this, simultaneously sinners and saved. Amen? In other words, you and I are both sinners and saved. We are redeemed sinners. We are works in progress. We learn more and more to lean on Christ as our strength. Friends, Lent at its most precious is critical because it teaches us the the inability of ourselves to save ourselves, but also that we have a God who saves us personally. And we also know this, that Jesus Christ knows what it feels like to be tempted. He knows what it feels like when you suffer and struggle. He's been there. He's done that. He identifies with you in your struggles of this life. So that, this is the beauty of the gospel. He identifies with you personally so that he can take those struggles upon himself and free you from them. Shall we pray, Father, we thank you this morning for Lent. 
we come to you this morning acknowledging and admitting that we are, in fact, fallen people. Let that admission be a ticket to our freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let our admission of our own frailty lead us to lean more and more on him. Let us to learn to receive forgiveness from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.